Welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. My name's Sam. I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to wellbeing. This podcast is a platform for me to bring you the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Laura Freeman. Laura is a GP, a board certified lifestyle medicine physician, and the medical director of Plant-Based Health Online. If you have a quick look at the amazing work that Laura does, you'll quickly see how passionate she is about helping people to thrive. And this conversation is all about learning as much as we can from Laura about what approaches she has seen from her experience and her research that really do work to improve people's mental and physical well-being. I talked to Laura about lifestyle medicine, what inspired her to rethink her role as a doctor, and what approaches she recommends that could help us on our journey to health and happiness. Enjoy the conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Laura Freeman. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. No, no, thank you so much for agreeing to give me some of your time today to talk about lifestyle medicine and the different approaches that we can take to feel healthier and happier because that's what this podcast is is all about um helping school staff feel healthier healthier and happier um so yeah today we're going to be talking about the broader changes that we can make to stay happy and healthy and healthcare professionals are using this approach now aren't they for treating and preventing a disease and helping people improve their well-being which is called lifestyle medicine so could we start by um could you Tell us, well, what is lifestyle medicine? What do we mean by that? Yeah, I mean, it's really nice to be able to talk about it because it's become um, such a passion of mine over the last six years. Lifestyle medicine is a fairly new and exciting emerging specialty in medicine. um, And it's an evidence-based approach which has six pillars of health. Um, So the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which was founded in 2004, lists six pillars which include a whole food plant predominant eating pattern, um, regular physical activity, restorative sleep, stress management, avoidance of harmful substances and positive social connections. And with lifestyle medicine, these six pillars are used for or um, in first line management options to prevent and treat and sometimes even reverse the common chronic diseases that I see as a GP and many other doctors and hospital and healthcare professionals see. And those are those conditions are type 2 diabetes and heart disease and certain cancers like colon cancer, prostate and breast cancer. Um, And the goal of lifestyle medicine is really to use these pillars to allow people to live um, like an optimal health, like free of chronic disease and pain and suffering. And I think some people who might have heard of it think that it might be alternative or complementary, but it's it's really uh, a very... uh, strongly evidence-based approach and has been shown to extend life expectancy and allow people to live in better health, you know, with less disability and improve quality of life. So it's a, a really, really powerful approach um, for healthcare professionals. And one of the really exciting things about it is that it's helpful for everybody, um, you know, people of all ages and mm-hmm. genders and different so- social and cultural backgrounds. And it's really so powerful, like it's so effective because it gets to the root cause of disease rather than simply managing patients' 
symptoms. So that's what makes it really exciting. Yeah, and it seems like that it's just growing and growing, isn't it? That the more people are um, understanding the effects of the, the the power of lifestyle medicine and are using it. You know, healthcare professionals, doctors are using lifestyle medicine approaches, aren't they? And you've said that it's evidence based and. So there's so much research behind it, isn't there? It's not kind of just this one study that we've taken and said, okay, like we'll, we'll, we'll go with this now. There's just, I don't know, is there, is there hundreds, is there thousands of studies showing that these approaches can, like you said, um, prevent, treat, and even in some cases reverse chronic disease? Yeah, there, I mean, there's just an abundance of evidence. Mm. There's so many, um, there's so much scientific research to support this approach and show how powerful it is. And I think, you know, we've come to know that most of the common chronic diseases today, the, the diseases I mentioned earlier, so type 2 diabetes and heart disease and certain cancers, um, we understand more about what is causing them. So we know that unhealthy lifestyles cause, mm. you know, disruption to the microbiome and, um perpetuate inflammation and this is really affecting the development of these chronic diseases that we're seeing so it's kind of interesting to think that lifestyle can be the cause but also the cure of these diseases and so when you adopt this lifestyle first approach you can actually interrupt these unhealthy processes and start to improve people's health and like I mentioned before it's that's what's so rewarding it's so satisfying for the clinician or healthcare professional and also the patient and I think that's why lifestyle medicine is becoming increasingly popular um you know it's it's just a really, really fresh approach and usefully, usefully different. But I think it's really important for me to say at this point, we kind of touched on it maybe um, before, is that it's not alternative, it's not complementary. So lifestyle medicine practitioners don't um, ignore the the usefulness of conventional medicine. And certainly, you know, I support the use of medication and surgery and vaccinations, for example. Mm. But with lifestyle medicine, the key thing is really that, that the emphasis has shifted away from the doctor and much more onto the patient to make lifestyle changes um, instead of being you know just reactive or just talking about illness or disease you know much more focused on kind of trying to increase physical and emotional well-being as well so yeah lots of reasons why it's really exciting yeah exactly and like you said it's it's empowering isn't it to know that we've got that within us and we can make some simple changes that that could help so much and it's not like they are um you know a hard slog or anything or these things are not enjoyable we're talking about eating colorful vibrant really tasty food we're talking about getting more sleep we're talking about ways to reduce stress all things that are will just just we will enjoy anyway <laughs> you know they're, they're not difficult are they um and then also empowering because I think some of those diseases that you mentioned, some of those chronic diseases, um, I think myself even 10 years ago or so, I thought that, you know, that was just, and I don't know, and other people as well might think that they're an, an inevitability and they're, they're just going to happen and there's not much we can do about them. But it seems like there's been a huge shift, hasn't there, where people are realising, no, these are down to lifestyle it is down to the food that we eat it is down to the if we're not moving our bodies enough it is down to if we're chronically stressed um is that is that correct uh, way of looking at it yeah totally I mean I think that it's 
you know, not right anymore to think of these diseases as a part of a normal aging process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we just need to look at people living in the blue zones, which um, I'm sure you're aware of, but maybe for your listeners who aren't, there's, you know, areas, really interesting um areas in the world where people are living the longest, healthiest lives. Um, And they're not genetically different to any of us, but they do amazingly have like reduced rates of these chronic diseases that we've now mentioned lots of times. And when you look at them, even though they're living in very different areas of the world, there's certain lifestyle habits that they share in common. So they do eat a plant predominant um, uh, diet they are really active they have a strong sense of community and family and they effectively manage stress and you know all the pillars of lifestyle medicine that I've just introduced um, so it's really interesting to think that this is it's not gen- not necessarily genetic it's not a normal part of aging um, and these are all really good things because we have so much control of, over them and then like you said they're so enjoyable like it feels good to do all these things um and really empowering like it gives us back a sense of control over our health which I think is really important because when you do get a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes or cancer or whatever it might be it does really leave you feeling very vulnerable like you're not in mm-hmm. control over your kind of health destiny as it is so so yeah another reason why lifestyle medicine is so interesting and so exciting yeah and I love that you brought up the blue zones that's something that I discovered a, a good few years ago now and then that's it's, it's fascinating isn't it and another another thing that you see that really highlights this is that people that then move from those um kind of traditional communities into a more um kind of western westernized I don't know community and they change their diet and I don't know they get a high stress job and they don't move their bodies as much they're not in the garden and they're not walking and they're not cycling that then we start to see those chronic diseases don't we so we can kind of it works both ways you can see those populations um in the blue zones that are not, um, uh, you know, not suffering with these diseases, but also the people that have moved from one place to the other, that then all of a sudden they they come up because their lifestyle has changed and the diet is poor. And like we said, yeah, not getting enough physical activity, might be stressed out, not finding moments of calm, not connecting with loved ones and um, friends and their community and things so that's another yeah, really interesting way of looking at it <laughs> it's so interesting and actually the very first lifestyle medicine conference I went to Dan Butner was there so he's oh, kind of yeah. leading the blue zones and he of course had um, all the amazing uh, photographs and stories from the blue zones and I was kind of on the edge of my seat like I had never been taught about this in medical school or in my GP training or in the training that I did again when I moved to Canada so um it really was so fascinating for me. And he had this phrase, which you might have heard, it certainly comes up time and time again within the lifestyle medicine space. And that is that genes load the gun, but mm. uh, lifestyle pulls the trigger. And that just really got me thinking. And then when he showed the kind of scientific data behind that, which that actually, well, there's some diseases where if your family has the gene, then you'll have the disease too. Um, mm. But actually that's quite rare and what's much more common which is that these um, studies showed was that about 20% um, of uh, health outcomes are kind of the consequence of your genes Um, but much more significantly like 70 to 80% roughly are due to uh, diet and lifestyle Um, and that's just huge and again that was something that was never taught in medical school Um, but again going back to what we were saying before that's actually really 
exciting data because it kind of shows you that you have a lot of control over, you know, your trajectory of health, really, like in your health variance and outcomes and all these things like we can like it might not reduce your risk completely and it certainly doesn't provide any guarantees, mm. but optimizing your diet and your lifestyle can take you really, really far. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I suppose your, your medical training and background you, you just mentioned, and perhaps it would be a good time for me to ask a little bit about that before we move on with the conversation. But, you know, um, when did you train to be a, a doctor and why did you start to, become interested in lifestyle medicine um, that'd be really great yeah. to hear. yeah so I am um, well, I'm in Glasgow just now which is why I'm wearing a winter jumper at the end of April like hugging a hot water bottle that you can't see um, but I lived here until I was 18 and then went to the University of Edinburgh and studied medicine there and then I did my junior doctor years in Manchester and my uh, GP training there and I worked as a GP locum for a while after I finished my training because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do um, but I had married a Canadian who managed to persuade me to move out to Toronto for a little bit. And the deal was only supposed to be for a year or two. But um, I met a friend there who told me that I could uh, use my medical training and work there if I wanted to. I just had to re-qualify while I was doing that. So I opened my own family practice in Midtown Toronto and I um, studied on my Canadian exams. And then one or two years turned into almost eight so I had my own family <laughs> practice there and I really loved it. Like it was a really great experience and um, interesting to work in a different healthcare system. Um, but then everything really changed for me on a personal level in 2016 it was. So my second pregnancy, my obstetrician at the time found a lump in my neck, which was, which was shortly diagnosed afterwards as thyroid cancer. Um, which is pretty <laughs> stressful. Like I knew that my outcome was always going to be pretty good because I was considered really low risk, but I had a two-year-old and a brand new baby at home. So it felt like a very difficult time. Um, but then when I went for my surgery, I was also found that um, found out that my cholesterol was extremely high. So when I started to research about how I could reduce the chance of my cancer coming back and reduce my cholesterol with diet, like I very quickly came across plant-based nutrition and how much evidence there was and that by following this kind of dietary pattern I could do, reduce both right I could mm -hmm. reduce the risk of my cancer of cancer and new cancers sorry cancer recurrence and new cancer um, and also reducing my cholesterol and you know I was so compelled by the data and the documentaries and the books and um mm -hmm really started to overhaul my diet very quickly and feel better very, very quickly and see my cholesterol <laughs> dropping really quickly. And that was really exciting to me. It really opened up my eyes to the power of, of my food choices. But then I started to feel when I went into work that, um, you know, the evidence that I read was so strong and I had kind of experienced it firsthand that I really felt compelled to talk about it with my patients I mean, certainly not force them into anything, but I felt like at least obliged to talk to them about it. And I found that they were really receptive to this message that there was something different that they could do rather than opt immediately for medications. Like, of course, mm. there are some people where that was, you know, safe and appropriate and necessary. But for many people, they were very interested in thinking about what changes they could make um, to help themselves with their blood pressure or their sugar levels or their cholesterol, whatever it may have been. Um, and so, I, you know, I was really, I still am very passionate about it, which you can maybe tell, but I really just took the opportunity to talk to everybody about it. 
um, I remember my sister telling me at the time, like I had to stop preaching to my friends. And so, um, but I felt like in a professional space, I was able to talk about it in an evidence-based way with them. And then it really wasn't very long before I started to see success. So they'd reduce their blood pressure and reduce their cholesterol. And that was just so exciting for me. I felt like I was really onto something and I would often pull my colleagues in and get them to look at the graph of their blood pressure and, or they're, you know, reducing their medications and talk about it with them. But I felt like they really didn't understand what I was doing. And I think they, I felt like they were kind of rolling their eyes every time I said plant-based diet, which I must have said about 50 times a day. Um, and that's kind of when I discovered this, um, when I started researching conferences, um, I came across lifestyle medicine and there was um, just a month or so after I started looking, there was a conference at Harvard Medical School in Boston. So I was quite close because I was in Toronto. So I took myself <laughs> on a wee trip to Boston um, and like I mentioned, I mean, that's where I saw Dan Buettner and Dean Ornish and Walter Willett, like all these really big names in the plant-based lifestyle space um, and sat at the edge of my seat for four or five days left listening to the evidence behind plant-based diets and lifestyle medicine. So that's that's really kind of taken me on my journey um, through conventional medicine into lifestyle medicine. And uh, it's been it's been a bit of a whirlwind, really. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. But how um how inspiring that you you went through that and um and all the things that you learned from it that then you were just so passionate about sharing with your family and with your patients as well and the fact that you actually you could do that you were in a position to to make such a difference straight away. Um it's it's incredible. So when you when you were in Toronto and you said that you you saw that your cholesterol was was really high. What what was your diet like then? What were you eating? There lots of I don't know Canadian. I don't know what do they have over there. I can't remember that name. Or where there's <laughs> like chip, chips and it. gravy and things. What's that called? Oh, That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I would never, not never, but I wouldn't have been eating that kind of thing. Like, I, and I did consider that I was eating really healthily, right? Like, right. And um, my mum's a home economics teacher, and so she's an amazing cook, which is really handy now because she's plant based too, and so kind of, um, really uh, benefit from all her recipe experiments <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, but I, so I kind of grew up with with this idea about like home cooked food and lots of fruits and vegetables, but. Um, I never really ate very much red meat or even processed foods, but I had a lot of dairy, a right. lot of chicken um, and and fish. And, and most of my eggs, um, most of my meals had some kind of animal protein in them. In fact, I think probably they all did. Um, so, yeah, so it came, it was really quite a surprise to me. I thought that I was healthy. I was very active. And so then to get this cancer diagnosis and also to realize, I mean, my cholesterol was over seven. It was extremely high um, was really quite shocking. But then, of course, now that, um, you know, I know what I know or we know, um, it's really no surprise to me that my cholesterol was that high, really. So, um, so yeah, but luckily, like it's come down and I'm, you know, the changes that I've made to my diet have been really sustainable and really enjoyable. Like we were talking before, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a diet pattern that I feel restricted on or it's not enjoyable. It's like quite the opposite. And um, so it's been such a joy to kind of learn about what kind of foods I should be incorporating and maximizing and then really feeling the benefits of these. 
Yeah, no, and that's the same from my perspective as well. You know, since um, shifting my diet, I think I just eat more colour and more variety than I ever have in my life. And I think I've become a, a better cook as well because, yeah. you know, there's so many different ingredients, aren't there? So many different plants to experiment with and try. You know, I didn't know what seitan was or tofu was. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know all these different vegetables and things. And, and now you. I get to cook with them every day, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you know, you mentioned some of those animal foods that we they're, they're marketed as health foods, aren't they? We're told that we need dairy and we need chicken and that those are health food foods. We need them for calcium. We need them for protein. And again, from, from my perspective, I used to eat a, a lot of those foods, not that many years ago, a lot of milk, a lot of eggs, a lot of chicken, because I, I thought if I, was in the gym and training and things that I needed them. And then since, um, since switching to a more plant-based diet and just focusing on my beans and my whole grains and my nuts and things like that, I just, I'm just seeing that I can, I can thrive. I don't need those foods at all. Um, and then, like you said, there's, it just seems like there are so many experts out there presenting the evidence of look what happens if, if you, you know, replace some of these animal products with um, their their plant. Um, I don't know, not not equivalent, but you know, plant in, choose for plant choose plant protein instead of animal protein, and look at the difference it can make to health outcomes. It's really fascinating. Yeah. And I think you, when you mentioned about family or or friends, was it um, you know remind you not to preach? And I, I experienced a bit of that as well. It's so hard though, isn't it? Because once you discover something and you then try it for yourself. You just want to share it. I just wanted to share with friends and family. And so I didn't get it right at the start. I, you know, I didn't. I suppose I was a bit preachy at the start when I, when I was talking about plant-based diets and, you know, would share those documentaries on my Facebook and would show the horrible videos of um, factory farms and things. And, uh, you know, now I've kind of toned down and realised that maybe that isn't always the best approach. It, it is an approach and it, it does work um, um, for some people, but... I've realized that, yeah, you can maybe need to be a bit gentler sometimes, but I completely understand that when we make a change, we just want to share it with the people that we love, don't we? And, and yeah. get them to enjoy the benefits as well. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're listening and you've got a friend or family member that's, that's maybe pushing you in that direction, just know that they're doing it out of a, a place of love and not, nothing else. <laughs> totally. I mean, ultimately, nobody really likes to be told what to do, right? And mm, yeah. nutrition is such a hotly debated topic. And I think mm. that's why I feel so grateful, you know, for the space that I have in my work as a healthcare professional to have like that, that, um, uh, ability to be able to to talk to people about it in a professional way um, mm. you know I feel very grateful for that but also it makes me frustrated a little bit sometimes if I'm being honest because um, people often come to see me and they're very motivated which is really helpful for making changes but you know it's once they have a diagnosis you know once they know that they're diabetic or once they have cancer or their blood pressure is high or whatever it is. And of, of course, I'm happy to speak to them and to help them, but I really wish I could rewind time for them yeah, um, yeah. as I could with myself really and kind of equip myself with the knowledge that I have now at the beginning of medical school because I always think about how many more people I could have helped if I know what I know now. Um, but so, you know, my message now, I really try to get out to people is not to wait for a diagnosis or not to wait until you 
feel X, Y, or Z, um, but to think about your health proactively and try to, you know, listen to all the information that you're giving to your listeners and, um, yeah, not wait for a crisis or a catastrophe before you before you make changes. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, well, we've kind of talked talk, talk a little bit about how, about how you found lifestyle medicine and, and what that means. Um, but maybe we now we could dive in a little bit more um, into some of those approaches. Um, and my aim with this podcast is to bring the, the knowledge and the experience of experts like yourself, um, bring you into the conversation around well-being in schools. Because um, those who work in schools, like anyone else who has a demanding profession, can struggle to maintain their physical and mental health. So for the people listening that are thinking, well, I'd like to make some some changes. I, perhaps they're thinking, like, I, I know I need to make some changes to feel better in myself, to improve my mental and physical health. Um, they might be interested in making some improvements to their lifestyle. What are the approaches that that they can take? You know, what do you talk about with your patients or even with friends and family? What are the kind of simple uh little things that maybe we can adjust and, and and change or add or take away um that could really really make a difference to health and well-being you know, we've talked a lot about food so we could chat if there's anything else you want to add about that about food and, and nutrition um but also i don't know if we wanted to talk a little bit about exercise stress stress management or just anything else so i know, i realize that's a pretty broad question to throw at you but um yeah. i don't know if, well, if, think, if you want to kind of unpick each part um yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> i mean we could we could start with nutrition couldn't we right. i mean yeah. the most for some people confusing and hotly debated and controversial and complicated topic but that is really where I start with most of my patients you know there's very few of us who are following the perfect diet and so there's there's usually always room for optimization Mm. um but I think that you know even though I've said you know it can be complicated and confusing and debated like Actually, when you strip it all back, I think the evidence makes it really clear. You know, it makes it really clear that diet choices have such a significant impact on our physical health and also you've mentioned our mental health as well. So I think this is really an important area um, for people to make changes. And um, it's where I notice people feel the benefits most quickly and most powerfully um, and so I think the changes can look different for everybody really de- mm. depending on their baseline you know where they're at and what they're open to and, and what's going to be you know accessible and affordable for them so I think that's really individualized but ultimately when you look at all the um all the data shows that the more fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes that you have, um, the better you know you're you are reducing your risk of all the diseases that we've talked about. But also, you know, we've touched on mental health, so that's so important. Like, you know, it's these foods are able to and have been shown in numerous studies to reduce inflammation, improve the gut microbiome, and this is linked with reduced rates of depression, anxiety, stress, um, ADHD even, for example. Um, so I think this is really key area for, for people to, to work on. So these are the foods that come up, you know, 
top like time and time again and those are the whole plant foods you know fruits and vegetables whole grains legumes um you know the more we can eat and the more different types we can eat and the more often we can eat these I think the better that we will feel and um I think these foods even though they can be expensive you know in different forms whether it's frozen or canned or smoothies or whatever they're usually in some form accessible to most of us and and yeah, like I said, seem to bring about, you know, just so many benefits for people. Yeah. Well, and you said about how um, it's one of the changes where people can notice the difference quite quickly. And I experienced that. Um, it was a few years ago now when after watching a few documentaries and listening to a few podcasts and watching a few videos on YouTube that I thought, well, I'll just try a plant-based diet, see what see what happens. And it was, I thought, I'll just try it for two weeks. And after those two weeks, I, I felt a lot different. I felt lighter. I, I, and I felt like I was thinking more clearly as well. And even yeah. just my thinking was lighter, which I, I don't know quite how to explain it properly. But I noticed the difference so quickly. And I suppose compared to, say, the effects of um, exercise and exercise program where you perhaps wouldn't see some, such a difference in two weeks or, you know, um trying to manage your stress a bit better it might be a bit hard to make changes that you know you can see that quickly but food it does seem like it can be a matter of days and, and yeah. you're already feeling better it's quite phenomenal isn't it and it's interesting yeah. that you said that you feel lighter because that is a phrase that I hear from patients over and over again mm. so I get really excited when I see their blood pressure drop and their sugar levels drop and that also happens really quickly um but it's equally as exciting to hear people talk about feeling lighter and cleaner and they have more yeah. energy and they're more focused and they're sleeping better. Like it really does trickle out to all the other things that they've got going in their life. And, um, yeah, you know, it's super satisfying for me as their doctor, but also obviously for them as their, as, uh, as the patient, yeah. I think, I mean, exercise also, you, know, you asked about that before and it's something that I'm, also really passionate about you know I grew up as a competitive swimmer but kind of and then always like really enjoyed you know staying fit and working out but never really I was always quite consistent with it but never really made it um a, a, a big like important part of my life um until after my surgery in fact it was my own doctor who told me that she got up before her kids were awake and that's when she did her workout and I was like well she can do that I can do that too <laughs> um, and actually that's a really nice example of self-disclosure from your physician which I think is really powerful and it's why I'm you know so happy to be on the podcast here with you because I think it's really nice and really powerful to hear your doctor talk about the healthy habits that they choose and that have worked for them and um, so anyway going back to this she told me that that's what she did with her exercise routine and I was like well I can do that too and and really um, with very few exceptions I've woken up every morning before my kids are awake to get my workout in and that has really um you know benefited me in so many ways I mean I'm able to reduce my cancer risk and um, improve my mood and improve my sleep and my focus and my attention and maintain a, a healthy weight and you know uh, we know this from or I know this <laughs> from the data which is that exercise has such a profound effect on all your body systems you know, the number of medical conditions with evidence regarding the benefits of regular exercise are just so extensive. So it includes like all the conditions that we talked about before, type 2 diabetes and heart disease and 
um, cancer, and um, but also goes like far beyond this to include other conditions that you might not think about, like chronic pain and osteoporosis and chronic fatigue, and and but also mental health and well-being. You know, depression, anxiety, ADHD. Um, you know, it's just um, it's just quite amazing, really. And we we know that exercise reduces inflammation and import it. Um, uh, increases important chemicals in the brain like uh, norepinephrine and um, uh, struggling to think of all the names now, um, serotonin and you know all these things that are really helping us with our physical health and um, and emotional health too. So so yeah, I mean exercise is just really really important, but also regular physical activity, which is different, right? Like that's about building movement into your day. I think, you know, modern day world and the way we work now, like it'd be very easy to sit still for most of the day and then sit on the couch at night. You know, it's really not designed to help us move. And so building things into your day can is also a really nice way to kind of improve your physical health and your emotional health too. Yeah, absolutely. Exercise is a big one, isn't it? And I'm trying to remember the phrase that I came across on the NHS website, which was something along the lines of, if exercise were a pill, um, I think if exercise were a pill, is it would be the most effective drug we have? Is it something like that? Yeah, so, yeah. or like, you know, we would all be prescribing it. I was like, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a bit problematic, though, because we don't just want to give people another pill. Like, we do actually want to get them moving and enjoy exercise yeah. or get outside and exercise or exercise with a friend and yeah. um, or a pet or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, that that phrase kind of makes me squirm sometimes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I get it. I get like the, you know, what they're trying to say. But I'm, yeah. Part of me is like, oh, not another pill. It's like the opposite. <laughs> of Good point. I'll remember that next time I go to share that quote with someone else. <laughs> no, but, the same way again. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. And I think exercise is one of those things where, we need to enjoy it, don't we? And and I think a bit like food, if we just take the view of I'm just eating this way to lose weight or I'm just exercising because I want to lose weight, it's not going to be sustainable, is it? I don't think. I think with both of those things, it needs to be an, an enjoyable thing. And it's... I've been looking into a, this a lot recently and I've been reading around um, uh, zone two cardio and this steady state cardio, you know, yeah. this idea that we don't have to push ourselves to the absolute limit every single session that, that we do that actually yeah. if if more people were just kind of doing that lower level exercise you know running or cycling where they're still able to maintain a conversation that there's huge benefits to be had from that isn't there and it doesn't yeah. have to be this yeah. really hard slog that you just have to push through and and it's painful it really doesn't have to be like that so I think the, the whole conversation needs to shift around exercise to it's okay to enjoy it and just find the thing that you that you love doing and stick to it and and like you said get someone else involved a, f- a friend your partner your pet whatever it is if it's just going for a walk every day um but it involves someone else or it involves your favorite podcast or something like that 
Yeah. That, that's enough, what I, I think, from, from, from what I understand. Oh, good. That's, that's good to hear from you. Yeah. And so what, my other question, sorry, was going to be um, kind of on that note, well, what is it that you wake up and do? You know, you say that you wake up before your children get up and do a bit of exercise. So what does that look like for you? I'd be interested yeah, to know. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I try to vary it. Um, mm. I do a mixture of uh, running or maybe jogging because I'm quite slow. And mixture of jogging, running, um, walking, walking uphill, like hiking and um, biking and also resistance like I try and get some strength training in two or three times a week at least mm-hmm. um, because I enjoy it but also because I know the health benefits really come with exercise when you combine strength training with right, yeah. cardio training um, so I do a, a mix of that um, what I really love to do is to swim um, I spent like my entire childhood in the pool, but I um, haven't really been able to do that since the pandemic. I don't have access to a pool anymore. So hopefully one day soon I'll be able to do that. But like my 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 favorite thing to do is to get outside and to hike. Um, that's my favorite thing to do. I'm obviously not able to do that in the morning. But um, so home workouts for me, either walking, running, cycling or strength or a mixture of those. Um, those are the things that I'm doing, you know, five or six days a week really um am I and I um I do it because I enjoy it um and because it's just become routine now you know I've done that for nearly six years um but um I'm also really strongly motivated because I know about the evidence between exercise and cancer recurrence and um and new cancers and and um so yes I have this really kind of and strong internal drive <laughs> to mm. know that I'm doing all that I can to stay as healthy as I can. Um, and that's become something really, really nice for me to focus on. Yeah. I think it's another really important point that like so many um, habits that we might want to introduce, enjoyment's got to be part of it and that overarching purpose as well. Like, why am I doing this? Because so often we can just get on board with the latest diet craze or the latest exercise craze and just think, well, I'm going to try it as well. But if we're not sure why we're doing it or what, what benefits we might experience, then it's going to be so much harder to stay motivated, isn't it? I think. And I I love the fact that you brought up the, that, um, the, the, the fact that cardio and, and resistance training combined, that's where we see real um, benefits as well. And that's something that I've heard a lot recently. And I think well, I'm I'm right in thinking that resistance training, especially as as we get older as well, can can really help us um, yeah. later in life. You know, stopping falls and fractures and, and and things like that. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Right. You're totally spot on there. I wish I could remember um, the paper. I can remember the figure. I mean, sorry, the diagram in my head. Like cardio training has benefits and resistance training resistance training has benefits but it's like when you combine the two just like this mm. amazing superpower for lack of putting it more apparently <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah so that kind of combination is is a winning combination really for so many health benefits for um heart health and mm. building muscle and protecting against falls and uh, reducing risk of cancer yeah just so many health benefits it's really powerful 
Yeah. And just to clarify, resistance training, it can be with weights, but it can also be with body weight, can't it? Like you yeah. mentioned about home workouts. So, you know, things like push-ups and squats and lunges and, and that kind of thing. If we're doing that yeah. at home or in the park, it's a, it's a really good way to go, isn't it? And it doesn't take that long. I think we can get an effective workout in what, 15, 20 minutes, something like yeah, that. You know, something like that. 10 minutes and you're right like it doesn't need to be with weights at the gym it could be Mm. body weights it could be resistance bands sometimes I get my um, patients like if they really enjoy walking for example sometimes I'll get them to invest in like a weighted vest that they can wear while they're walking just because that's a really easy way that they can just add in some strength training to something that they're doing already um or if they're going for walk maybe wrist weights or ankle weights if they don't want to wear a vest and so there's loads of different ways to introduce strength strength training I find that most people think it's really fun like it you know it adds something that they've not done before and and again something that they find benefit from so so that's good yeah Yeah, definitely definitely oh great so we've talked a little bit about nutrition a little bit about exercise um one big one other another pillar sorry I should say is is stress management isn't it um Mm. we know that so many of these um diseases are, are linked to stress don't we that, that, that there's a big um there's a big link there um i'm sure i've i've heard other gps doctors and things online talking about that i don't know what a really high percentage of what they are seeing in their gp surgery is linked to stress i think i've heard a figure kind of as high as 80 percent that why people are coming in is somehow linked to stress in their lives i don't know is that something that you can speak to that resonates with you and if we if we go from there you know why why is stress having this effect and and what can we do about it (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really predominant in all kind of GP and healthcare visits. And, but of course, it affects people very differently. But Mm. much like exercise, we know that um, stress really has an impact on all of our body systems, you know, our heart and our digestive system, and, you know, our hormones and our immune system as well. And that's probably why it's such a, you know, common presentation to the GP or other healthcare professionals Um, and again this is because of changes in cortisol and serotonin you know much like I um, talked about with exercise actually but I think it's really important to think about our language and um, think about um, the way we understand and talk about stress because actually some stress can be useful And and we recognise that some stress can allow us to, you know, achieve our goals and meet deadlines and make appointments and um, that kind of thing. You know, we can really kind of challenge our mindset around it, which I think can be helpful. And also, you know, our bodies do need some amount of stress in order to activate certain, you know, biological pathways. But these benefits only exist up until a certain point, right? And then excessive strain can lead to fatigue and reduced activity and exhaustion and burnout and, and poor health outcomes. Um, so even though it might be impossible for us to avoid acute stress and, you know, in some cases, like I've just mentioned, it can be useful. Living with chronic, like unstreet, untreated stress definitely has its side effects. Um, and so it's really helpful to think about how we could manage this and how we can incorporate you know frequent ways that we might manage it you know much like we're talking about how to get in you know frequent exercise it's also important to think about getting in frequent ways to manage stress and um you know all of us do this very differently and I can talk about that in a second um 
also you know what I touched on before which is that we all experience stress differently and you know there's definitely a genetic component to stress which kind of shapes our own individual stress response but I think even if we're super resilient like we still need to be able to manage stress because like I said before it's just unavoidable Mm. um but the thing is is that many of the stress management techniques that I recommend or that, that you'll know about are so low cost and low risk that it's just really important for us all to kind of familiar, familiarize ourselves with them um, and try different ones. Like I always explain to people, it's a bit like a menu. You know, you're not going to go into a restaurant and order everything. You're going to go in and order the things that you like and that, you know, maybe speak to you and um, and then choose and try those things and see if you like them. So they can be things like, you know, Tai Chi or meditation or men- mindfulness um, gratitude practice or journaling you know these are all ways that you can try to practice to manage your stress um, again you know these are so highly individualized like yeah. different people have different preferences for these and that might depend on their age or their gender or their cultural background or even their spirituality so it's important about trying these things out and seeing what works for you and you've got plenty of patients who try art therapy or music therapy, knitting, reading, time in nature, like there's a whole list of things that could help us manage stress effectively. It's just about, again, like finding something that you enjoy that makes you feel relaxed and then building these into like our everyday routine proactively again, (laughs) like not waiting for a crisis or catastrophe, Um, but building them into your daily routine is, is super effective and really powerful. Yeah, I like that analogy of a menu, you know, picking and choosing which one you like. And and you're, and you're absolutely right about not, not waiting until you are at that absolute kind of burnout phase or, you know, completely stressed out. It's like I try to say to people is that you don't need to earn relaxation and you don't need to earn a rest. It's just it should just be part of our daily routine shouldn't it and our weekly routine that we've got moments just to unwind it's not like you have to go 100% burn out and then only then have you earned your weekend away or your spa break it's yeah. like, no we, we can be um we can find ways to relax all the time I, I suppose I should stop there and, and say I completely understand some people might hear that and think well you know I work in a school and or I've got a, a difficult partner at the moment or I've got things going on with my family that are really hard. And of course, we, we understand that. Um, and it's not like we're saying that, well, go away and meditate for five minutes and it will solve all your problems. No, that's that's not what we're saying. There's a there's a bigger picture, isn't there, where it might be that if you pause and reflect that you might want to to look at how your one's life is at the moment and, and you know, career-wise, family-wise, relationship-wise, what, whatever it is, and and make some big changes if needed, um, if those things are the, the source of your stress. But at the same time, I think all of these, the practices that you've mentioned can just help so much in the moment, but also when we pause and when we find that stillness, I think it just, if we're getting more in touch and in tune with ourselves, then it means that we can bring about those changes that we want so it kind of puts us in the best position possible to go right okay well I I don't like this aspect of my life or I don't like this relationship that I have or this this colleague you know at work or something maybe I do need to be spending less time with them I just think it means that we're more in touch and more able to bring about the changes that we want um 
I don't know if you've got any kind of thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I agree with all of that. I think it's really helpful to encourage people to think about, you know, signs associated with their stress response too, right? Like mm. you know, I said, that affects everybody differently, so it might behave. Um, sorry, it might affect people, you know, behaviorally or physically or emotionally. And so when you kind of become more in tune with this, you really can start to make connections between, you know, your stress and your emotional health and, you know, start to develop awareness to when stress is really building and then proactively turn to these, you know, approaches for managing stress that we've talked about. So that's why it's really helpful to have it into your daily practice and it doesn't need to be a long practice right like it doesn't need mm-hmm. to be 30 minutes of meditation it could be just like a minute of mindfulness for example but when we do it kind of routinely at times of stress you can tap into that and then extend it if you need to or add to your you know or whatever and um, so there's that but then I think also and I know this is easier said than done um, but when you're feeling really stressed, just to think about the other pillars of lifestyle medicine that we've been talking about, you know, when we're stressed, it's even more important to eat well and to make sure we're sleeping and um, make sure that we're exercising. I think in reality, you know, stressful events tend to fuel unhealthy behaviours, unhealthy yeah. eating patterns and disrupts our sleep and we stop exercising and you know in some cases that's unavoidable but mm-hmm. the thing is is that when we started to kind of develop and build a bit of an awareness we may be able to pay more attention to these things and to prioritize them a bit more and that can be really helpful yeah it's a really curious part of our nature isn't it you i think you're right though when we're stressed or perhaps when we're feeling low that then we start to neglect the things that make us feel better one simple example i think is when we um I know that when there's been, for whatever reason, days where I've, I, I can't exercise for whatever reason, that then I find like I'm craving the the more unhealthy kind <laughs> of treaty food. Whereas if I am exercising, then I, I want to reach for the the healthier food. It's really strange. You'd, you'd think that it would work the opposite way. You'd think um, I'd think, okay, well, I have an exercise, so I need to be really careful with what I eat. But there's just something that kind of I'm more switched on to, okay, well, I have an exercise. So I'm also going to enjoy these these cookies and this granola as well. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, it's really bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, um, and then the, the one other point that you made about um, good stress, I, I thought was um, really interesting. And I think something that set me on the, the path to find out more about that was, uh, it's a TED Talk, and I can't remember who it was by now. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the TED Talk. It, it was, it's, it's along those lines of uh, oh, yeah. uh, the, the way we look at stress, and actually there is such a, a thing as good stress. And uh, as you mentioned, there are there are forms of stress that we put under our body that lead to growth, don't they? You know, kind of a, an ice an ice bath is stressful, but actually can produce these amazing benefits. And exercise is is putting our body under stress, isn't it? But it kind of it's the what's it called like the the ignition for change that then can produce benefits. And yeah. breath work, there's certain ways that we can breathe that then puts our body under stress if we breathe really quickly in a kind of in a controlled way again it can result in these these changes that are um are beneficial but i think it's about the the having the control over the stress isn't it it's kind of like you're the one that's decided to put yourself in that stressful situation which means that you're kind of 
you're getting more comfortable and you're training yourself to know that, okay, well, I, I can remain calm in this stressful situation because I've put myself in it. And then that can then transfer to when you are in a really stressful situation that you haven't, it seems like you haven't got any control over, but you remember, well, what was it like when I put myself in that other st- stressful situation? And okay, I, I know I can remain calm here and I can slow down my breathing and and I can stay focused. Um, it's it's a really interesting, isn't it? The, like, like you said, the language that we use around stress and how maybe we need to be not so black and white with it and, and have a bit more of a, yeah. um, a deeper conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then just um, kind of try to... Um, in retro vocabulary you know sometimes you might actually not mean stress but we might mean like exhausted or burnt out or overwhelmed or worried or whatever it might be and so sometimes it's even useful just to think about describing it in a different way um, because that has just been shown to be helpful (laughs) and build resilience um, for example so uh, but yes it is it's um it's very interesting, but certainly can argue that chronic stress has an effect, uh, a negative effect on our health, and it's definitely worth working at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, great. Well, Laura, thank you so much for kind of taking oh, a bit yeah. of, a, of a dive into lifestyle medicine, and thank you for covering those those three really important pillars and giving your suggestions and also your personal experience as well of 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 those different pillars and what um, kind of little changes we could make and the big, the, the why as well, the fact that you presented the why, you know, what, what difference could this make to our, our health, not just today, but for years to come. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> so there's a, a couple of questions that um, I like to ask every guest. So before you go, there's um, just two, two more things I'd like to ask you. One of them is your, um your top tips your top tips to thrive I, I like to ask my guests you know if there's three things that the listeners can take away from this conversation um and go and try even today or this weekend whenever it is um what kind of what tips would you give them your top tips <laughs> yeah so I think the first one has got to be thinking about food choices right mm. and just to kind of to take away from today that that link between our physical and emotional health are so closely connected to what we're eating day in and day out and I would encourage everybody to read around the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet so that they can get to grips with the nutrition basics and how it might benefit them and one of the best resources for this is from our mutual friend and and my colleague Shireen Kassam who recently published her book on eating plant-based I mean I've read a lot over plant-based nutrition over the last six years, and this is certainly one of the the best books by far and written in a question and answer format, right? So it's really accessible for everybody. So that that has got to be my my top tip. Um, The second one, I think, has got to be thinking about exercise and understand the benefits and think about ways that you might build in movement into your daily uh, routine in a way that you enjoy you know and doing it with a friend or with a partner or a pet or whoever is going to provide that source of accountability for you mm-hmm. and then the last thing you know we've just been talking about stress and I would really try to urge people if they're not there already to try and you know not wait for a crisis or burnout before they find something and put it into their daily lives to reduce stress like something that they can do to relax and enjoy I think that's um, that's got to be really beneficial 
love them. What fantastic tips. I think those will make a really great uh, little highlight to to share with the audience on social media because, yeah, I, I love all three of those <laughs> tips. They're brilliant. And a special shout out to Shireen as well. She's fantastic, yeah. isn't she? <laughs> brilliant. And then the final question I have for you is, what's that one lesson you wish you had been taught when you were a child? Yeah, um, I remember I was thinking about this. I um, <laughs> It's got to be about how connected, I mean, we haven't even touched on this, but something I'm really passionate about is planetary health. That's probably a whole separate podcast. Um, but I, you know, I wish that I had been taught about that interconnection between our health and the health of the planet and how both of those things can be helped with a plant-based diet. I wish I'd known that, you know, a long time ago. Um, so that's it. That's my yeah. that's my main lesson I wish I had been taught. Yeah. Like you said, that's another big conversation. I think maybe you're going to have to come back on the show and maybe we can talk about that <laughs> because, you know, it's an area that you're particularly passionate about. I see you say, um, sharing things on social media on that topic and um, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that would probably be one of the top lessons I wish I'd been taught as a child as well, how the food that we choose to eat, this, the, the, the impact that it has on climate change and how just some simple changes is one of the most effective things that we can do isn't it to to reduce our carbon footprint and, and help look after the um planet earth um yeah i think that's yeah. another, a big conversation that i'd love to share it with the audience at some point and it seems like a bit off topic just to kind of throw that in at the end we've not really mentioned it but i guess it's that it's completely linked right yeah. to our food choices which we have been talking about and to our own health and emotional well-being which we've also been discussing so um yeah it's just to kind of highlight that connection and to understand that there is there is something that we can do and, and like you said small changes can make big differences so so yeah that's that's a lesson that I, I wish I could have taught my kind of six seven year old self and uh, yeah. and, and something that my kids now are are um, aware of so yeah at least at least there's that yeah well I, th I think the conversation is slowly elevating um you know at my school I'm going to be doing a, a healthy eating week and actually there are resources from the British Nutrition Foundation which are are all around this it's not just about a healthy diet their their whole um the resources the resources are all around what is a healthy diet that's also a sustainable diet and so they've got some different um focuses for each day and they are it's 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 all along the lines of the things that we've been talking about what are the foods that are really good for us but are also good for the planet as well um mm -hmm. so perhaps you know i'll be sharing that on my social media you share lots about this on your social media yeah. as well um so perhaps even i know like you said it's a bit out of the blue but maybe mm -hmm. just at the end of this conversation it's it sparked someone's interest and they might go away and and have a look at some of these resources or, or yeah. get in touch with one of us to, to find out more because yeah. yeah it's a it's a fascinating topic that we definitely need to be talking about more and definitely need to be talking about more in schools because we're not talking yeah. about it enough in schools the link between diet and climate change but uh, i'm trying to make a little dent in that area but anyway right so um kind of on the topic of social media well where can people find you um after listening to this conversation how can they connect with you is there anything that you would like to, to share any resources um anything you like um yeah um well i mean i use instagram um, um on instagram as dr laura freeman and then i also you know work on 
plant-based health online so I work as a GP and lifestyle medicine physician there and um, so people can find me there at plantbasedhealthonline.com and that's where I, I do video consultations with my patients there and, and kind of give them individualized lifestyle medicine consultations so that's uh, super rewarding too. Yeah oh fantastic brilliant well Again, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really looking You're forward welcome. to to sharing this um, conversation, and yeah, I look forward to staying in touch soon, Laura. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. So, thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Dr. Laura Freeman. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it empowering. I really enjoyed that conversation. I loved hearing from someone who is you know medically trained and has clearly done a lot of research and works with a lot of patients hearing from them what approaches we can take that really can make a difference to our health not just today but for years to come if this conversation has inspired you to make any changes do get in touch with me and laura and of course if you have any questions as well then you can find laura on social media on instagram at that handle that she mentioned right at the end if you did enjoy the conversation it would mean the world to me if you helped spread the word about this show you can do that in a couple of ways Um, you can share this episode with friends family and colleagues you can like the episode as well on whatever platform you're listening to it you can follow the show and you can also leave up to a five-star review as well okay Really looking forward to bringing you another conversation all around the topic of well-being for school staff very soon.